0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tennis Attic Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about tennis. And uh, it's good to be back. I was sick last week, which is why there wasn't an episode. Unfortunately, I'm going solo this week because my cousin is sick and my brother is currently working. So unfortunately, uh, I have to do a solo episode. That's not something we like to do. We'd rather all be talking or at least two of us to be talking. But, you know, life happens and unfortunately people get sick and so it is what it is. And so I'm just going to kind of go through my topic and the news today and uh, be a quick episode. So actually, I've been having some trouble recording this episode. I'm having some issues with my microphone. And so I've recorded this episode twice already, only to find that the recording for whatever reason was very scratchy and it just didn't sound good. Uh, so I'm hoping that the changes that I made to some of the settings and, and some of the stuff I looked up online uh, will make this recording better. So at certain points, I'm probably going to stop the recording as I talk, which I'll probably I'll cut those out in post-production. i will stop the recording so I can see you know, how it sounds because I don't want to record an hour of a podcast only to turn around and find out again that it's unusable because uh, you can hear what I'm saying, but it just doesn't sound very good. So, yeah. So anyway, uh, before I get into the news and uh, then the subject for this week's podcast, I want to talk to you quickly about what you can do if you want to send in some feedback and, you know, why you might want to consider sending in some feedback to the podcast. Now, first thing I want to say before I get into any of it is you don't have to. You know, don't feel like you need to send in feedback to the Tennis Advocate podcast because you don't. Um, It's just... Uh, a way to encourage you if you have an opinion that's not ours, you know, because you could have a, an opinion on a subject which is wildly different from my opinion or my brother's or my cousin's, uh, and you want to, you know, let us know what that opinion is, feel free to do so. You know, you can do that, but you don't have to. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, if you listen, uh, to, like enjoy listening to what we have to say and our opinions on various subjects, and that's fine for you, great, That. There's no problem with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Continue to listen to it. And we hope you continue to enjoy what we have to uh, say and what we have to talk about and uh, moving forward. However, if you feel like you want to contribute to the podcast by sending in some feedback, we'd highly encourage it because it's not just about our opinions. My brother, my cousin, and I, you know, we sit around talking about tennis all the time, whether it's at the table or we've been out playing on the court and we're sitting around drinking Gatorade and, you know, Eating bananas and recovery stuff. And we'll just start discussing some aspect of the game or a great match that we saw or who we think might be, you know, ready to make a move in the game of tennis and really get to that next level or at least improve. Those are the things we do. And we do that a lot. But the problem is, it's not just about us, it's also about you. You know, my podcast, whether it's this one or you know, Hungry for Hannibal podcast or the Friday Night Mike's podcast or the Freaking Geeks podcast, all those podcasts, they're all about facilitating a conversation between us and the people that listen to us. And so, if you have an opinion and you want to be part of the conversation itself, feel free to do so. You can easily do that by just sending in an email or a voicemail to the podcast. And you can do that by uh, typing in, um, tennisaddictpodcast.gmail.com. That's the email address. It's all one word. It's all lowercase. And if you do that and you could send in an email or attach an MP3 file to it, send it into the podcast. We will read the email or we will play the voicemail and we will then, you know, talk about what you had to say and uh, offer an opinion. So... Um, Just want to let you know that you can do that and and not be afraid of sending in your thoughts, opinions and ideas because we value other people's opinions and thoughts. So uh, that's pretty much it for that. And uh, let's jump into the news. We'll start with the men's news. So the men's news. uh, Let's see here. Jack Sock wins Delray Beach Open. And unfortunately, he didn't have to play the final because Milos Reynich had to retire due to injury. Apparently, he suffered a thigh injury and also a possible uh, hamstring or ligament, uh, a possible tear. Uh, so we don't know the severity yet of that injury, which means we don't know if this is something that's going to keep him out for a, a short time, if the injury is bad as they think it is or if it's worse. Uh, this could be something where he's out for a week or two or he could be out for you know a few months So the sad thing about Milos is this has happened to him before. He's suffered some lower body injuries. And with big guys on the tour, they carry a lot of weight around. And so when you're sprinting left and right or you're running forward towards the net and you stop on a dime and and slam down, um, you're putting a lot of pressure and weight on those joints. And unfortunately, with Milos, it it could have resulted in an injury. He did it in the – he suffered it in the Del Potro match. And uh, apparently he was – it was like late in the match and he was in a, a rally or something and, and he, he strained it and uh, caused the injury. So uh, unfortunately, there was no match, but Jack Sock won. And so congrats to Jack. He's a an up-and-coming player. We've seen him steadily imp- steadily improve over the last few years. Uh, his backhand is getting better, which is nice to see. It, it's always been uh, a week – aspect to his game but I feel like he's getting much better in his backhand uh, um, probably paying a lot more attention in practice I wouldn't be surprised if on uh, practice sessions he's there hitting backhand after backhand because he knows the players go to that backhand so if he wants to keep that from becoming a true weakness uh, and keeping him from winning matches he has to improve that wing so um, I'm seeing that and so good for Jack um He's a young guy. He's got a lot of years left in his career. So, you know, in a year or two, he could be a guy vying for a title. Who knows? I mean, by title, I mean Grand Slam title. All right. So, Joe Wilford Zonga wins the Marseille Open, defeating Lucas Puy. That wasn't even a close uh, final. Zonga came out and just blew him off the court. Sanga uh, looked great in this tournament. He took down Alexander Zverev, who we all know to be that next young, up-and-coming, you know, prodigy who's vying for Grand Slam glory and will probably be happening sooner rather than later, um, possible future number one. So, you know, taking out Zverev is a pretty good uh, accomplishment because the guy seems to get better with every single tournament he plays. Uh, and Zonga looked great, but he also looked thinner. It looks like he's lost some weight recently. I feel like uh, he's dropped some weight in a way to elongate his career. You know, uh, give him a better chance out there on the court. He's over thirty now, so he has to take uh, as much consideration into his training sessions and also just his body composition. You know, he he's always carried a lot more weight around on his frame too. He's had some lower body injuries over his career. And some of that might have been due for, to the amount of muscle he was carrying around. And so I think he's dropped a good 10 to 15 pounds. He appears thinner. Didn't seem to hurt his game though because he was out there ripping forehands and backhands and serves like crazy. So – and he was getting around the court pretty well. So, you know, but it's a good result for him. I'm glad to see that uh, Joe Willie is uh, still forced to be reckoned with. And, and who knows? Maybe losing some of this weight, it will help, help him out there. And We've seen a doll Dropped some muscle mass over the last few years in an effort to uh, take some strain off of his knees and joints. So, uh, looks like that Joe Willie is following suit. Um, Let's see. Dominic Team won the Rio Open, defeats Pablo, Karina Busta in straight sets. In fact, he didn't drop a set his whole way to the uh, win. And Team looks great. Really, he looks fantastic. He's uh, the kind of guy, the kind of player who I foresee being a real threat at the Grand Slam level, uh, even this year. And we're going to get to him in a little while because he's going to be featuring in our discussion, main discussion of the podcast. Um, he's a guy with formidable weapons and he blew Karina Boost off the court in this match. It wasn't even close uh, either. So good for team. It looks like he's, he's continuing to make strides. Uh, I believe he's won eight or nine titles for his career already, uh, which is – is I think this might have been his ninth career title. Um, yeah, he's he's making noise and this is a guy he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. So good for him. Uh, some kind of funny news here. Roger Federer filmed Running Wild with Bear Grylls. Uh, if you know anything about that, that program, Bear is kind of a survivalist and – the show revolves about around, around him taking out like celebrities and athletes or sometimes celebrities and athletes and uh, essentially showing them what it's like to live off of the wild, to survive in harsh conditions. So you're usually out there for a couple of days and, you know, he opens your eyes. He makes you do some stuff you wouldn't normally do. But, uh, you know, it, it's getting people out of their comfort zone and showing them what life is like uh, for people that aren't normally used to that, aren't normally associated with that kind of lifestyle, and it's not an indictment on their lifestyle. I'm not. I'm not here making a judgment in any way. I mean, these are athletes and celebrities. They've they worked hard in their careers. They make a lot of money, but that means they also, you know, are used to the finer things in life. They eat out at really wonderful restaurants. They go on great vacations. They live a, a nice lifestyle. And you know Bear's lifestyle or what he does—it's uh, kind of diametrically opposite to what they're used to. So it really gets them out of their comfort zone, exposes them to something completely different than what they're used to, and it's a fun time. It's it's nice to see them do this. So anyway, um, I'll be looking forward to watching this episode. Uh, it looks like from the pictures they had a great time. So it'll be it'll be fun to to watch this play out on the episode and see how Roger does. So all right, that's it for the men's news. So we're going to move into the women's side now. Okay, so for the women's news, Elena Svitolina wins Dubai over Caroline Wozniacki, who is now 25 and uh, 19 in finals. Svitolina looked great in the tournament, uh, really showcasing that that power and that uh, ball striking that she has, the big serve, you know that she's capable of of utilizing. Uh, good for her. I think she's she definitely is highlighting uh, women that I'm going to be talking about here later in the podcast when we get to our main subject. Uh, Kerber, um, Kerber lost early in in Dubai, which kind of continues her rough start to the season. Um, you know she she ended last year not winning the uh, World End Championships. And she, you know, lost early at the Australian Open and she really hasn't done all that much so far. It's just a rough start. Is that indicative of the fact that she's gonna have a really bad year? You know, not necessarily. You know, some players come out and they might have a rough first couple of months and then, you know, whatever it is they're dealing with, or whether it be on off the court or on the court, uh, they they work their way through it and they come on the other side of the, on the other side a lot stronger and uh you find that it just ended up being a, a very small blip in what could otherwise be a really great year. So I'm not saying two months in, hey, write off, or three months in, write off Kerber because you know she's done. That, that you know only fools do that. You know don't don't write somebody off just because they had a tough couple of months. If that was the case, then everyone would have written off Nadal, Feder, Murray, and Djokovic so many times throughout their career just because they had a bad couple of tournaments. So, uh, but Kerber, you know, she lost early, so hopefully she can get her um, her game fixed on the court and, and whatever, if anything's going on off the court and uh, come back stronger and ready to go. Uh, CeCe Bellis is making strides. She's 17. She'll turn 18 uh, later this spring. Um, she is a good young player. We saw what she did at the US Open a few years ago, but – it looks like she's really beginning to to really make some strides in her game. She's not a big girl you know, she's not tall or anything but she feels to me like she has the consistency or she's getting near the consistency of say a Radvanska or a Wozniacki in terms of her ball striking and her shot to shot consistency. But she's got a little more firepower, uh, especially – Wozniacki, who she or not Wozniacki uh, Radvanska, who she defeated, um, and Wozniacki, who's always been a, a I think a pillar of consistency on the court in terms of her her shot selection and uh, just not beating herself that often. You know, for most of the time, unless there's an injury, if you're going to beat Wozniacki, it's because you just have a bigger game than she does, and you manage to to f- navigate your way through uh, the match in in take advantage and utilize the uh, the strengths that you have to to beat her. Um, but CC Bellis seems like she's getting there. She's got a little more firepower on the backhand and forehand side. And When she goes for her forehand or backhand, sometimes, I mean, the shots really come off with some steam. Uh, but she's 17 years old. She'll be 18. She's young. She's got a lot ahead of her. She chose – to turn pro instead of going to college, which I think is indicative of the fact that she feels like she, she can do something. She has the confidence in herself and her game, and she's really committing herself to, uh, the lifestyle of a, of a pro tennis player. So good for her. Uh, she didn't, you know, she didn't get to the final or anything, but I just, I, I wanted to highlight her because I feel like she's somebody who might make some noise here in the next few years. And, uh, Gabenje Muguruza, Mugurutha, Underwent an MRI because she suffered an Achilles injury. Uh, anytime you go undergo an MRI, it's kind of scary because it could be a really severe injury, and you don't undergo an MRI lately. You're not going to do that unless you feel like there's a chance it could be something really bad. So we don't know anything about this. Similar to how we don't know enough about Rainich's injury, uh, we don't have enough information to make uh, any kind of guesses to whether or not this is an injury that's going to keep her out for a long time or whether this is just a, a short-time uh, short, uh, injury, I guess. I, what am I saying? Um, an injury that's going to keep her out of the game for a short period. You know, she could be out for a few weeks or she could be out for a few months. We just don't know yet. We don't have enough information. So once we find out, of course, we'll mention it on the podcast and uh, we can talk a little more about that once we get more, um, more information. So uh, I think that's it for, for the news. Um, this is going to lead us directly into our main discussion for the week, and that is going to be who will make a move this season on the men's and women's side. What players are capable right now from what we've seen so far this season? I'm not talking about players like we did a preview of this season where we were picking players that were going to you know, make some noise – I just – I want to know based on the first couple of months into the season through, you know, the lead up to the Australian Open, the Australian Open and, and in the, the tournament since the Australian Open, what players have shown themselves to be ready to take on the mantle of Grand Slam champion? You know, which ones seem ready to springboard their early season results into a possible win and a big Grand Slam title? so that 's what we 're going to talk a little bit about today and we 're also going to talk about Nikurios because he factors into the men 's discussion but there 's a little more to talk about when it comes to him and it 's not going to slide directly into that discussion um, precisely it 's going to, but at the same time there 's more I want to talk about, and it also involves andre agassiz so uh, we 're going to get to that now okay, so for this discussion let 's start with the men 's side and we 're going to uh, highlight a couple of players here who I really think are poised to make a real run at one or more of the Grand Slam titles and then we'll also talk about a couple of the women's players who I feel like have shown enough so far this season to that that their um, results could be a Grand Slam title okay so let's first talk about dimitrov Grigor Dimitrov as he is uh, unfortunately commonly known to by other fans, is baby-fed, which by the way, he hates very much. I totally understand why. Early on, it probably was cool you know, to be compared to Roger, but after you turn pro and you've been in the game for a few years, getting that thrown at you, it's not fun. It used to be probably charming and cute, but not after you turn 18 years old and certainly not after you make enough noise in the game itself to warrant that label being shed. Just because he models a game after Federer doesn't mean he should be labeled as you know, the baby or lesser version of Roger Federer. And yes, I get it. Look, Roger is a 18-time Grand Slam champion and Dimitrov has won exactly zero Grand Slams. I get that. But uh, respectfully, I don't refer to him as baby-fed just because I, I don't like that moniker for him. I just he's, – uh, he's outgrown it. He's outgrown it. And it's not going to take a grand slam uh, title in my opinion for him to outgrow it. I think he's already outgrown it. He's his own player. He's Grigor Dimitrov. All right? He's not Federer's clone. He's Grigor Dimitrov. Um, anyway, so Dimitrov to me is somebody who we are finally beginning to see – Fulfilled potential from him again. Now a few years back, he appeared like he was on the cusp of winning a Grand Slam title. He was making noise. He was he made deep runs uh, at Wimbledon, and uh, he had a really bad loss against uh, Murray in that in that match. And I think since then he lost he lost confidence for a while, and it, it over the course of a year or two, his results got less and less. And then last year it it just completely collapsed out from underneath him. Um, his results in the court were poor. He seemed, I don't want to say disinterested, but he just didn't have the confidence. It didn't look like he really believed in himself out there, especially when in, he was going up against some of the better players on tour, like an Adal or like a Federer or Djokovic or Murray, uh, or even you know players like Burdick or... Um, you know Nishikori you know players like that where or Wawrinka where he was just getting blown off the court and i think that's because he got so far and he kind of hit a wall confidence wise i don't think his game there's any there's no problem with his game his serve is excellent His forehand, his backhand, his movement, his defense, his uh, slice—they're all fantastic aspects to his game. And you know, if we're looking at someone like Harrison, if I were to rank his his all of his skills across the board, and I'm kind of just lumping them all together here, but you know, Ryan Harrison doesn't excel at anything. He's good at a lot of things, but he's not great at anything. And so, a 6.5 out of 10 is probably what I would rank just about everything that he does. Uh, whether it's his serve, his forehand, his backhand, his net game, his movement—they're all good, but they're not great. There's nothing about either any of his skills that I feel like is truly elite. You know, you would never say, "Man, Ryan Harrison's backhand is top five in the game," or his serve is top five in the game, or his for you know, none of that. So, you know, Harrison—he does things well, but nothing great. Dimitrov, on, on the other hand. I you know I don't know that I would rank you know any of his as top five necessarily either, but if I were to scale them on a one at, or rank them on a scale of one to ten, a lot of his skills are between I think an eight and a nine, you know maybe his forehand isn't a ten, but it's like an eight and a half, or a nine, or maybe his serve isn't an Isner or Raynich serve, but he can pop them and he can hit big serves. Uh, he can hit 125 to 135 miles an hour if he wants to. Um, so, yeah, look, he's, he's, he may not be top five, you know, arguably, but on the quality of his skills and everything that he does, it's higher than Harrison, which is why, you know, he's poised to maybe do more than Harrison is uh, poised to do. Problem is, he just doesn't have the mental strength or didn't have the mental strength or he lost the mental strength. Uh, he may have been confident at one point in his career when he was younger a few years ago. It seemed like he was on the cusp, had some tough losses, and never fully recovered. Also, he had that relationship with Maria Sharapova, and I've heard of nothing you know solid to go on here, just from articles that I've read and things that I've heard that uh, he got a bit lost in the relationship, and it took his mind away from the game. He wasn't devoting the time, kind of time he possibly needed to, and that may have also contributed to the results that we saw. Now, am I saying that's what happened? No, I am not. I don't know for sure. I don't talk. I've never talked to Grigor Dimitrov. I cannot tell you what really happened. It's just from what I've heard for um, in pure speculation, and so take it with a grain of salt, but that's just some of the things that I've heard that um, that was at least – partly responsible for what happened they broke up and he has since reinvigorated his game and his uh, devotion to tennis and his hunger and drive and you know we saw that really deep run that that uh, almost win against Nadal at Australia a great match um, I think the best match of the tournament to be honest with you um, and he's followed that up with wins and so that's great with uh, for Dimitrov he's done a great job so with, with that, um, I think he's poised to have a great year. I think he could be a Grand Slam winner this year. And I'm thinking Wimbledon could be the place he does it. We've saw how great, how great that's been for Federer over the years. His game is similar. He does a lot of things well. He's young. And I think he could be finally poised and ready to win that Grand Slam title that he was supposed to win uh, a few years back. So for me, Harrison tops the players I've seen so far this year on the men's side who could possibly win. But it's not just that they could possibly win. You also have to be 25 and younger. And maybe I forgot to mention that earlier because there are other players that could win a Grand Slam title. But I'm talking about young guys, the young guns, the guys that are poised to win. Um, so based on the early season results so far, Dimitrov appears to me to be a, someone who's primed to win a title on the Grand Slam level. Next person would be Dominic Thiem, right? So Dominic Thiem for me is somebody who has been growing exponentially stronger every single season in the last couple of years. He's got a really big backhand, a big forehand. He can really rip his shot. There is no fear whatsoever when he goes for his shots. Other players take steam off their shots, so they're not confident that it's going to go in. Dominic Thiem rips forehands, rips backhands goes big on his serve he just plays big he's one. he flies around the court he puts in maximum effort on every single point um, that's what I like to see, and that's why I believe he's poised to win a possible French Open title this year. Now, will he win it? I don't know. There's other players you know, that could do it. Obviously, Nadal is always going to be a possible favorite there, Djokovic, of course, Murray, you know, players like that. So I'm not saying he's favored to win. I'm just saying as one of the young players, one of the young guns of all the players 25 and under, he's the second player. I have ranked as a possible Grand Slam winner this year. And so I think, in my opinion, based on what I've seen, Dominic Team could be you know, one of those guys. Another one uh, would be Milos Ranich, of course. Uh, he lost to the Dodal in the, in the Australian Open, and obviously he pulled out with an injury um, in his loss at, uh, against Jack Sock here in, in Dubai. But... Still, we've said this for the last couple of years. And last year, he made it to the Wimbledon final. Milos Ranic could win a Grand Slam title. He's got the game for it. He's a big guy, got a big serve, big forehand, um, getting much better at the net with every single uh, season that goes by. He's young. He's still got time to do it. But he's got to start striking while the iron's hot because there are other guys coming up behind him who are younger and who are ready to win some of these Grand Slam titles. But I think he can still do it. I think he's got the game for it. And let's just hope that that injury isn't that bad and that we finally see him uh, get to that mountaintop and win a Grand Slam. All right. So um, the other person is Nick Kyrgios. This is a little more in depth here. Nick Kyrgios is somebody under the age of 25. He has the most talent to me and the most skill of any player under that age. He's got a ridiculous serve. It doesn't even look like he's trying half the time. It just looks like he's bored and he's hitting serves. They just happen to be going 135 miles per hour and he's uh, got pinpoint accuracy. Uh, That serve is something to behold. It's maybe the most beautiful-looking serve and the most languid and easy-looking serve I've seen since Pistol Pete. So... You know maybe that's high praise, but in terms of just the beauty and fluidity of that serve, his is the most beautiful one I've seen since Pete. His game, otherwise, is still fantastic. He has a big forehand, he's got a good backhand. His backhand's kind of weird looking, kind of reminds me of uh slightly of Roddick's backhand, actually. It's got like a hitch to it, um, but it, it's not a it's not a terrible weakness but he's got to get better at it but the reason i talk about curios is that out of all the players i've mentioned he has the highest potential and yet i'm scared that he will not be able to do it because the lack of desire and the lack of devotion to making himself the best player that he can the lack of love for the game because i don't think he loves tennis we've heard comments from him in interviews we know he loves basketball more than he loves tennis He's not going to win a Grand Slam title on just talent alone. No matter how much talent you have, if you don't want to be out on the court, you're not going to win a Grand Slam title. Agassi fought with hating the game. He's the exception to the rule. He fought with hating tennis for much of his career. He won Wimbledon, U.S. Open, Australian Open, and then he kind of quit without quitting the game. He quit on the court. He tanked in matches. He lost all focus had very little desire to play and yet at some point he chose to play the game for his own reasons and that to me is where curios is at right now the thing that's stopping nick from winning a grand slam and from being a great tennis player is himself now why does he hate the game we don't know but in an interview agassi gave when he was talking about like this new video uh, series that he's doing where he's talking about the mental strength of tennis, and what it takes to you know, be a great tennis player. He was asked about Curious, and these are some of the comments he made. I'm paraphrasing these so they're not word for word. But he said, uh, I talked about unless the desire is there, no amount of talent will overcome that and I just talked about that. Um, you can't coach someone that doesn't want to be coached, which is true. Uh, you have to start at the root of the disconnect with the game itself, which means they need to sit down and figure out what's the what's the reason that you don't like tennis? Why are you disconnecting from this game? Is it the loneliness from being out in the court, which is what Agassi had to deal with? He thought he was just out there by himself and he was so lonely out there under the scrutiny of everybody around him, all the fans, all the people watching on TV. Um, Because if it's that, then I I can understand why he prefers a team sport like basketball over, say, tennis. Because at least with basketball, you can pass the ball off to another player. It's not just you out there. It's you and other guys that are all playing. So they got to figure out what the disconnect is. And then he said um, he has to want this for himself, which is true. And that's what Agassi did late in his career he decided at some point that he wanted to play for the game on his own terms. Because when he was a child, he didn't have the uh, the say into whether or not he was going to play. His father forced him to play tennis. He grew up feeling he never had much of a choice. And when he got to adulthood, it wasn't that he couldn't just quit. But at that point, he had no real education. He had no real prospects. And he wasn't even sure who he was as a person at that point. So tennis felt like a life preserver, and a prison at the same time. But at some point, Agassi, later in his career, when he was in his late 20s, chose the game for himself and for his own reasons. He built a school, he played for that school, and every victory reflected in the ability to make that school better and to reflect the glory of his wins onto the glory of the school itself. That was why he played tennis for the last six or seven years of his career. So... What does this mean for Kyrios? Well, he needs to sit down and figure out what the disconnect is, and then he has to decide to play Titus for his own reasons. Could be He doesn't have to be about a school, but he just has to find a reason to be out there on court, whatever it is. And again, this parallels Agassiz very much. Is it the same? Not necessarily. There are a lot of mitigating factors that could be factoring into Kyrios's. Uh, situation and be different, completely different from Agassi's. We just don't know exactly what the they are. We've heard comments, we've, we've heard inferences, but we're not sure exactly what it is about the game of tennis that Curios is so disconnected from. He's not engaged. You know, His body language on court often just looks like he doesn't want to be there, even when he's winning matches. And that's something else that Agassi got into in this discussion was that You know, when you hate tennis and you're winning, it's like a bomb. It soothes the the dislike for the game because you're winning, so it's not so bad. But when you lose and you don't like tennis, it's like a normal person who loves the game losing. They hate losing, but it's like a normal person losing, but multiply that by a factor of 10. It's It's 10 times worse when you lose. And you hate tennis because it makes the, wor- the losses that much worse. You hate it. You really, really hate it. And so to me, Kyrgios needs to get all that worked out because otherwise, as much talent as he has, it doesn't matter. We've seen talented tennis players over the years and they've all had great talent and they've all burned themselves out or they've never liked the game. And this never resulted in great results for them on the court. So Curious needs to figure that out if he wants to be one of these great tennis players because otherwise he's just going to be one of those guys they are going to say, oh, yeah, remember him? He had a lot of talent. Man, I wish he would have done something with it. That's it. All right, so that's the men's side. So we're going to jump into the women's side and we'll do that now. All right, so let's talk about the women's side of the game now. So I'm going to highlight a few players who I feel like – are really poised to maybe make a real run here on the women's side of the game. The first person I want to talk about is Alina Svitolina. Um, She's been knocking on this door now for a little over a year. Um, Her game has really seemed to mature and she's really making strides here, which is fantastic to see. Uh, I think in her results over the last six to eight months in particular have been fantastic. I love her game. I love she plays a big game, a very strong brawny game. And I just I love her results. Look, she won this week, right? Uh, She played really, really well. We see the talent there. And when she's on, when she's really on, she can blow just about anybody off the court. And, And that includes Serena when she's really playing at her very best. So to me, Svitolina seems to be like one of those players who's really finally reached that point mentally and physically, and with her game, where she's ready to take that next leap and possibly win a Grand Slam. Uh, next player on the list would be Carolina Pliskova, and she's very similar to Svitolina. They both kind of came up and really exploded around the same time. You know, both of their games seem to mature roughly around the same time, give or take uh, six months. And both of them are very strong, powerful. Um, baseline players and they both strike a really nice ball and they have nice big serves and they're one of the they're only the only players that I've seen that I feel like can really give uh, the top players a real run for their money and they've just found a way to take their already impressive physical talents and, and apply it in such a way in which they've been able to extract some real confidence out of their play when they've even when they've gone up against players the big ones and lost They don't get down, they keep moving forward, they keep improving. Some players recede after they lose these big matches, they recede mentally. They start thinking like, oh, I don't have it, I can't do it, I can't win against the big players as we saw with Dimitrov. uh, Thankfully with these two young women, they have uh, improved steadily and I feel like both of them are in line to really vie and possibly win a grand slam title this year. Uh, Another player, Monica Puig, is someone who so far has had um, good results in the last year or so. She won the Olympics last year and I I just feel like she's breaking out possibly. She doesn't have a ton of firepower. She's not big and tall like like, uh, Svitolina and Pliskova where she's just got big overwhelming game. But I feel like she has something a moxie. That I didn't quite realize she had maybe before that. Um, so I think, I feel like she's ready to make a breakout this year. I think she could possibly make that Grand Slam final and maybe win the Grand Slam. It depends on who's across the net and how much her game has improved since then. Uh, so that's kind of it for the women's side. Um, I do apologize. Like I said, this is the third time I've recorded this podcast. Um, I've been stopping regularly my recordings to double check the, how the recurrent recording is gone. And thankfully so far it sounded pretty good. So <laughs> I'm going to get this out as soon as I can. I do again, I apologize for, for this. I'm hoping that the problem doesn't persist I'm starting to wonder if it was a, a, the file itself that I was recording in. I'm starting to wonder if that was causing the problem because this file doesn't seem to be an issue. So, uh, took hope for the best. And uh, again, if you want to send in some feedback, please do. TennisAddictPodcast at gmail.com, all lowercase. Uh, we'll be happy with any feedback we get in. Don't forget to go to iTunes and rate us. And until we see you next time, have a good one, and we'll catch you later.